Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. It's been good to gather outside and see all your smiling faces. So just so you know, um, I'm assuming that you're all smiling all through this. If you're feeling grumpy, you're going to have to stamp your feet or give me the thumbs down or something else just to make it clear. I'm reading this morning from Colossians chapter 1 and picking up where we left off last week at verse 15. Colossians 1 and 15. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else and was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. May the Lord open his word to our hearts. So if you remember last week, we started, if you were with us, we started in the book of Colossians, in this letter that Paul writes to the church there, to this kind of small town church that really isn't kind of significant in the empire they lived in. And uh, apparently there had been people challenging their hope. They, uh, they had told them that, what they were believing in, what they were doing, was kind of pointless. It was small. It, it, did, it was insignificant. And yet Paul writes them and says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God for you. And, and we've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people. And then at the end of last week's passage, he said, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchases our freedom and forgave our sins. So he takes us out of darkness, into light, makes us part of his kingdom. And, uh, and Paul says that's a reason to understand that we're not small, we're not powerless. He told them that the gospel was going out all over the world, and wherever it went, it had an effect. It was changing lives, just like it changed their lives the first time they really heard it and understood it and believed it for themselves. And now, this morning, we come to this next part of Colossians, 
And uh, I know a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Habakkuk and a song in Habakkuk from the Old Testament. Here we are in the New Testament, and, and the beginning of this passage this morning is thought to be a Christ hymn. It, it was a hymn of the church. So the early church, the, the earliest believers in the generation after Jesus had died and risen, uh, they gathered together to worship, and this is one of the songs that they sang. They sang, uh, there's another one in Philippians, and there's one here in Colossians that give us a glimpse into the kind of hymns, into the kind of worship songs that they sang together. And in the first uh, stanza of the song, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we, ha we can't see. He says that, that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the hero, and that's, that's what Christ means, right? It's not, it's not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's, it's his, his descriptor. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the superhero of, uh, of their world. And so he's sent by God to be this hero to rescue them. And so when he says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, he's making a statement beyond that. For the, for the Hebrew scholars, for the Israelites, they believed that a Messiah was going to come, but they didn't necessarily understand that Messiah was going to be God himself. And so when they, when they read the prophecies and when they talked about the Messiah, and I assume that some of them still do talk about what they expect as a Messiah coming, but Jesus came and the church understood from the earliest days, that Jesus was more than just a, a messenger from God. He wasn't a prophet. It wasn't that he was just a prophet speaking on behalf of God. It wasn't even just that he was a messenger directly from God, or even that he was the Messiah, the rescuer. It went far beyond that. He was the Messiah, but he was also God. So that if you walk down the street in that day, and, and you, you happen to come walk and see Jesus, you were seeing the fullness of God. When he spoke, it was God speaking. And that would have been revolutionary for them. And, and so in this hymn, they remind each other, they remind themselves that Jesus is more than just the man who was born and, uh, and lived on the earth. He's pre-existent. He, he's always been. He existed before anything was created, before the entire universe was set in motion. Jesus was there. He was God. And he's not a third of God, right? There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're all God, but they're not a third of God. He was the fullness of God. And so Paul quotes this hymn in, that they sang together and said, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And then he lists them such as thrones, rulers, kingdoms, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He says, not only was everything created through him, through the power of God that he held because he was God, but that everything was created for him. He was the purpose for its existence. Nothing in the entire universe exists just because it was a nice thing to make or because it's there. It's not just that God made it, but he made it with a specific purpose in mind. Everything was created through him and for him, and he existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. 
Not only did God create the universe, it's not like he, he kind of wound it up and, and set the wheel spinning and created it and, you know, just let it go. And, and once in a while, he'll check back in on it. It's, it's not that at all. It's, it's not that he may intervene here and there, but that every moment that the universe exists, he's intimately involved in keeping it going. Empowering the systems that keep it, that keep the planet spinning and the universe in motion. He created it and he holds it all together. The fact that our ecosystem works is because he's intimately involved in every detail of sustaining it and of keeping it rolling and keeping it on track and making sure it fulfills its design purpose. And that's why the scriptures always remind us when they talk about nature and say, you know, that Paul had, had reminded us elsewhere that, you, that from the very fact that the universe exists, that you can look at creation and the, the stars and the trees and the, and the grass, they all speak about God. They tell us something about who he is as a creator, that he's creative and that he creates good things. And so... The hymn makes that claim that that's Jesus, that the man that walked on earth 2,000 years ago was the creator of the universe before any of this even existed. And that he, he created it for himself for a purpose. And that he holds it all together and he keeps it spinning and he keeps it on track. And then the second verse of the song, he says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. He's not just the creator God, but now it says in this parallel second verse, he says Christ is also the head of the church. You might remember some passages in scripture that talk about how Christ is the head of the body and we're the parts of the body and we all got to work together and we all have our different gifts and each part of the body, no part of the body is more important than any other part of the body. That's <coughs> excuse me, an image that, that Paul paints for us. But here, it's, it's, it's an earlier writing and, and perhaps that thought developed as, as God revealed to him more and more about how that image is true of, of him being the head and us being the body and, and how the body works. But here he's concentrating on the head and he says, Christ is the head of the body, the church. We're all connected to him and we, we derive life from him and purpose from him. He's the beginning, supreme of all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. Now when we think about that, you realize it's kind of amazing to say that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And then he goes, well, he's the first of the rising from the dead. He just set the tone. He led the way. He did that. And now we rise from the dead. So that we aren't done when we're done here because of him. And because of what he did. And so he's the head of the church. He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Because we as believers will rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness, he reminds us again, was pleased to live in Christ. That Jesus was the absolute fullness of God. There's nothing you can say about God the Father that you can't say of Jesus. He's very God of very God as the creed puts it. And so Paul reminds us that God created the universe and he created it with order. He created it for a purpose. And then when he comes to earth, he creates the church. 
And the church becomes part of that great purpose of setting things in order and reconciling the world to himself. And so Paul says, this includes you who were once far from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. He says he's reconciled us to himself. He says you were far from God. You people who are part of the church, he says to this little church in Coloss, he says you, you, you feel powerless, you feel like maybe you're not all that big a deal, but you, you have the power of God in you. He says it wasn't always that way. You were once far away from God. And you were his enemies, separated from him by all your evil thoughts and your actions. That's what used to be. And then he says, but now, yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. He says, you used to be an enemy, but now you're not. That he started to reconcile you to God. He's brought you into the kingdom of his light. He's made you something that is, is the hard reset on the entire universe. It, it was created to be good. If you remember in Genesis, every day that God created, he, he, he made the, the darkness and the light, and he says it's good. He makes the animals, the fish, and the sea, and, and, he, and he says it's good. And he makes mankind, and he says it's good, good. It's, it's very good. Every day, he reminds, it reminds us that everything that he made when he created the world, when he made the universe, he was happy with what he made. It was made with a specific purpose, and it was made by his power, and it was a good creation. And even though things have gotten off track, that's where it all started. And now he says, and now Christ comes, and, and he brings the church along, and he teaches them. And he molds them. He says to the people in Colossae, he says, you know, from the day you first believed, you had this hope. And what this hope did is it made you love the other believers. And that's what we hear about you, that you got faith in God and that you love all the other believers. And then later he said, you love other people, everyone. Like he starts growing in us, this culture of love among us, and then he spreads it to the entire world. That was his purpose from the very beginning. And so he starts by creating the universe good, and then even though things have gotten off track and sin has marred what God created and violence and evil and man's inhumanity to man has made a problem with that, he started to do the hard reset on the entire universe. And so the church is part of that purpose. And he says, you guys used to be part of that old way. You were once far away from God. You were enemies separated him from him by your evil thoughts and your evil actions, but that's not the way it is now. Now you've been brought into this kingdom of light. Now you've got his love working in you and through you, among each other, and spreading out to other people. And he reminded them that they were, they were part of something bigger, that he said, wherever that goes, wherever the gospel spreads, it's changing lives all over the world. Like, it's not just happening among you people, he says to Colossus. He says, you feel like small town people that aren't very powerful and, and don't really have an effect on the larger world, but you got to know what God's given you is so powerful that wherever it goes, it has an effect. And wherever it sinks into people's hearts and lives and they believe it, 
it changes their lives forever. And Paul says, that's what happened in you. That's what God did to you by bringing you into, into the church, what Christ did by his death and his resurrection. He pulls you into his body, and, and as long as you believe that, you continue on. He says, and it's, it may be hard to hear, he says, as a result of what Christ did, because he did that, as a result, he's brought you into his own presence. And hear this next part. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's God's goal in your life is to say he's going to fix everything that's broken and make you holy and blameless before him. That's what the gospel does when it takes root in your heart is it changes you and begins to mold you into the kind of person who stands in God's presence holy and blameless and faultless without a single fault. Flawless. Not because you are perfect, not because you do great works, but because God's work in you never stops till it's done doing what it does. Making you like him. So he says that's that to the Colossians. He says, as a result, he's brought you into his presence. And he says to us, by virtue of that, the, the, the scriptures are recorded for us because he, God knew that sometimes all of us feel small and powerless. And we're tempted to believe the people and the voices around us that tell us that our hope is pointless. That our hope in Christ doesn't do anything. And he says, no, no, it changed your lives from the first time you accepted it. And you got to know, it's going out all over the world. It does stuff wherever it lands. And so he says, you are holy and blameless. <coughs> and you, Whitewater Wesley, and you stand before him without a single fault. But, he says, you must continue <coughs> to believe this truth. And stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. You hear the action words there? Continue. Stand firmly. Don't drift away. He says you have to continue to believe this truth. That the truth that takes hold of you, that the world threatens to tell you is not really true at all, that that truth of the gospel starts to work its way out inside of your life, and it changes how you treat the people around you, both within the church and outside of the church. And so he says, continue to believe this church. Stand firmly in it. It takes effort. And then he says, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. People were threatening their hope and trying to convince them that things weren't as hopeful as maybe they had been led to believe, but even though their hope is being challenged, he says, hang on to it. Don't drift away from it. Do hang on to that truth and, and let it sink in and stand firmly in it. And don't drift away from that assurance that you received when you heard the good news. When that good news took root, you knew it was true and you knew it gave you hope for the future and for your own life. And then Paul reminds them again. He says, the good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed God's servant to proclaim it. Paul, 
the guy who used to persecute Christians, who didn't believe that the gospel was true when he first heard it and, and thought this Jesus guy w- was, was a sham and, and had made up his mind to destroy anybody who believed in him. When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, Jesus opened his eyes and spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus explained to him who he was. And when he understood who Jesus was, it changed everything for Paul. His life instantly changed. And now he says, you guys, you've, you've heard this, Colossians. You, you feel small. You feel powerless. You feel like you're just a small town group of people that don't have any big impact on the empire. But you've got to understand, the power at work in you is the power of God. And this Jesus that you believed in when you accepted the gospel of the truth of the fact that he died for you and that he rose again. When you accepted that truth, it changed you and it gave you hope for the future and it gave you a purpose that you were part of the church and the church's job is to, is to recreate the world the way that it was meant to be, to pull it back to God's intended original purpose and that you do that by the power of God at work in you, not because of you, but because of him. And it doesn't rely on your ability to do anything except to believe him and take him at his word and allow him to do what the gospel always does when it's truly believed. It shapes you and forms you and fills your life with its original intended purpose so that everything you do comes in line with the reason you were born in the first place. And so Paul quotes this this hymn, and then he explains them, you used to be something different, but you're not that anymore. You were separated from God. You were his enemies. You had stuff in your life that didn't belong there, but that's not what's happening now. The gospel is working in you, and it's shaping you, and it's filling you with light instead of darkness, and the darkness can't stamp it out. It's filling your life with love so that the love spreads to the people around you so that you treat people differently than most people in the world treat each other. And because you're motivated by his love that has so captured your heart that you start to love people around you and you start to spread out with that love so that you care about everybody else. He says that doesn't happen naturally, but it does happen when you believe the gospel, when you believe in Jesus he starts to do something in you that you could not do on your own. And he makes you part of his purpose in restoring the world the way he originally intended it to be. You bring his kingdom to bear. And Paul says, that purpose from the beginning, God never let go of that. He never wrote off the planet. He never decided, I'll settle for second best. He always intended to come and to save us, and to rescue us, and to pull us back on track. And his intended way to fix everything that's broken is the church. And you can feel small, and you can feel powerless, and you can feel ashamed and broken, but the gospel begins to reform your life and realign your priorities until your inner kingdom looks like his kingdom. And you start to live out that kingdom in ways that affect the whole world around you. 
and his gospel spreads by taking you over and making you what you were always meant to be, an ambassador of the truth and of the love of God to the rest of the planet. And that sounds like a big thing to do. And there are all kinds of messages that will tell you that you can't do that. But Paul says, that's who you were born to be. That God created the universe in the first place, and that same power that created the entire universe is at work recreating your heart and pulling you onto his priorities and his kingdom and his values until they so take hold of you that they start to affect the people around you. And you start to pull people towards Jesus so they understand him and they believe him. And they get reset and realigned so that they know the love of God until it takes over the world. And Paul says, look, I didn't start with very good beginnings. I was really good at being bad. He calls himself in one in one of his letters, the chief of all sinners, he says, nobody was better than me at being bad. And now God's appointed me to spread the gospel, to spread the love of God. And so he makes up his mind to do it. And he establishes church after church after church. And the letters of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul, the guy who hated Christians and tried to stamp them out. But when Jesus got a hold of them, it changed him and it changed everyone he encountered. And that same power of God, that same Jesus, is trying to take over your life so he can affect the people around you. He wants to use us as the church. And Whitewater Wesleyan Church is just a, we're just a little congregation in a small town, but he's done that before. And he is at work in us. And so Paul reminds them and reminds us, continue to believe this truth. You have to continue to believe it and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you receive. And if you do that, his kingdom will take root and it will spread like wildfire. Let's pray together. God, this morning as we gather, we are amazed by the work of Jesus. We know that he was you, that you and he are one, that he is God, that he created the entire universe and we believe that truth that he made it for a purpose and that that purpose was found in him, that it all points towards him. And that he is still intimately involved with our world, even though there are moments when we find it hard to see him at work. We believe that he is at work in this world because you, you've told us that. But Father God, we also find it very difficult sometimes to feel like we, the church, are your vessel of sharing this gospel. We, we believe it for ourselves, but to, to feel like it's taken root in us and starting to spread to others, we feel small and powerless. And there are many voices around us that tell us things are hopeless. And there are many voices that tell us we are just 
the same shameful people we used to be. There are times when our inner voice tells us to just look after ourselves and, and our own world, our own families. And yet, as your love takes root and your kingdom becomes our priority, it takes over not just our hearts, but begins to take over among us as a people, as a, as a congregation, and then it starts to spread to others. And we know that doesn't depend on us. It's not because we are so strong or powerful or faithful, but that you are faithful to work in us, that you are faithful to complete the good work you begin. And so this morning, I ask you to give us the faith to believe what the early church sang, that you are not only the God who created the universe for a purpose and, and holds it all together, but that you are pulling the world back together in all the broken parts through us, that we would believe your gospel and that we would live out your kingdom and that we would see it to take roots in ways that changes, change lives and spread to the world around us with your love and your kingdom values. We know that's a big ask, but that you are a big God. And so we trust you to do what you have always wanted to do through your people, through your church, through us, by the power of the name of the one who died to save us, the name of Jesus. Amen.